It's Thursday, June 16th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers. Guys, good to see you. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. We're going to try something new today, uh, just alerting our listeners, our, our dozens of listeners, uh, a little something we are calling for the moment, yes, no, maybe so. I want to hear from each one of you a stock that you're bullish on, a stock that you are bearish on, and one that you are genuinely conflicted on, that you're really on the fence about. Um, and we'll see how this goes. And by all means, drop us an email, people, radio at fool.com. Let us know what you think of our little experiment. Charlie Travers, I will start with you. What's a stock that you're that is a definite yes for you? One stock I've been bullish on, and actually I hated this stock for most of the last decade, and only in the last <laughs> six months came around uh, to saying it's a buy, and that would be Microsoft. Uh, for a long time, the stock was just a you know tech darling, too expensive, and it's the complete opposite situation now. It's uh, hovering around nine or ten times earnings at the same time that they are selling record units of Windows and Office, and their entertainment division has finally turned uh, very robustly into the black with a solid profit. Uh, yes, they have some search issues, and the phone is a work in progress, uh, but the core of the business is hotter than ever. So is it is it also the valuation that absolutely? That, I mean, so it's it, yeah. that, that's really it for you. I mean, you're you're getting a dominant wide moat company for about ten times earnings, which is just ridiculously cheap. Um, yes, I'm aware of the bear arguments, and they do have merit, uh, but that is more than priced in. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Charlie. In, in the the fact they have a tremendous moat, and, and the valuation seems to be historically just one of the cheapest ever. And I guess the the one thing I, I wonder is, I mean, from your perspective, do you, is Microsoft more like a value play, buy it and then sell it once it reaches a certain valuation? Or do yeah, you see absolutely. that like a long-term holding? No, no, absolutely. Um, I, I would say, you know, hovering right around 23 24 bucks a share, if you start getting into the mid-30s, that's probably uh, time to reconsider the position. Yeah. Um, I'm a Microsoft shareholder. Let me just spot you up with one aspect of the company that concerns me, and that is the fact that Steve Ballmer is still the CEO after a decade. And personally, I feel like it's time for for someone else to sit in that chair. What do you think? You know who has a bigger vote than you is Bill Gates. (laughs) (laughs) He has a much bigger vote, and and rightly so. Right. And uh, Balmer's been there uh, almost from the beginning. And I'm sorry, as long as Bill Gates has uh, his, you know, gives the seal of approval, this is not going to change no matter how many shareholders complain about it. It's it's just the way it's going to be. All right, Jason, what's your yes stock? So this is a stock that we actually have on our stock advisor scorecard. And I'll say that I actually own shares personally, but uh, it's Panera Bread. Um, it's, a, it's a company that I actually started looking at when we first put it in Stock Advisor, but it's something that w- we have this growth in the fast casual segment where you have uh, you know restaurants like Chipotle and, and Panera, and th- this seems to be a trend going on here where, where folks are looking for a little bit more than just like a McDonald's experience or something like that. And so uh, Panera, to me, yeah, there's still room for some top-line growth there with more sales, potential for some international expansion as well. They have a good franchising model. Uh, they generate copious amounts of cash flow. So so to me, I like the product, and I like their prospects going forward. Yeah, Jason, my wife and I, we've been longtime uh, fans of Panera as customers for at least the past decade. You could go there, get a good little breakfast, and they have pretty decent coffee. It's actually better than decent. I like it better than Starbucks, for that matter. And, you know, for lunch, they have some good sandwiches and soups, and you get this all at a pretty attractive price for what you get, and you don't feel rushed out of there. It's a nice ambiance, and you could sit there and have a nice meal. It's a it's a good concept. Yep, we were just over there, actually, over the weekend, uh, my wife and, and two girls, and it was that very kind of experience where we felt like we go in, relax, got a good meal, you know, didn't pay uh, through the nose to get it, 
walked out feeling like, you know, I could probably do that more often. Do they actually make money selling like $6 sandwiches? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they do make money and they actually have pretty good margins there. The the one concern has always been uh, with potential food cost inflation going forward. Uh, Now, I saw an interview with Ron Shake, the the founder of the company, and he's still the chairman, I believe. Um, And they're able to pass those those costs on in just small incremental price increases. So, So they do make money. They keep a pretty, pretty healthy margin line. And I don't see that as a big threat going going forward. You like the management? I do like the management. You know, one of the things that they have is this Panera Cares concept where they uh, essentially have stores that if you can't pay, you know, full boat there, it's, it's more or less pay what you can. And the interview that I saw with uh, with Shake, he said that it broke down. They saw where about 20% of the people paid more than the recommended donation. About 60% paid, you know, the average recommended donation. And then about 20% paid less and considerably less than that 20%. But, uh, you know, his his takeaway from that was that people are fundamentally good. And so with a mission like that, I think they're looking to spread that concept as well. And I like that. All right, let's move on to your no stock. And, and don't give me something obscure. Give me, you know, give me a, give me a company that I've heard of and something yeah. that you're sticking your neck out just a little bit on. Charlie? I can do that. I was actually poking around uh, stocks in Japan to try and find um, big globally known businesses like you're talking about that would be kind of thrown out uh, when people are freaking out. Unfortunately, what I found is a company that I would not invest in, and that would be Sony. And I was actually kind of surprised. Sony is all over the place with consumer electronics. Uh, they're involved in music and film. And the PlayStation has been a long franchise. But unfortunately, they don't make any money with the core of their business. The film and music, they do okay. But the TVs, digital cameras, PlayStation, they're just bleeding money for years here. Uh, and I was surprised at how bad it is uh, and where they make most of their money is on financial services, which was kind of shocking. Um, I wouldn't have known that before I looked at the company. So Sony's a definite no. Is this a company that really just needs to scale down to pare down what they're doing and and if they do that then you know doesn't that uh, make their stock a lot more attractive it, it could um, and you know what I think what it comes down to is that consumer electronics is intensely competitive and the prices have just fall I mean it's great for people looking to buy these big digital TVs but it's bad for the companies making them um, and divesting some of these money losing businesses could be the way to go yeah I think Charlie and I are just keeping our eyes on the same news feeds because after all the Sony news hit the hit the news with um, all of the, the accounts being hacked and information being uh, released. I, I had started looking at Sony myself just to see if there wasn't any kind of potential value there. And I, I was shocked to see the same thing that you you saw with the financial services playing such a big part. Other than that, I couldn't figure out exactly what was so compelling about the company itself. Their products that, seem to be more or less commoditized at this point. The uh, PlayStation security breach is, is a massive, just <laughs> that is so bad for them. And I think Microsoft with the Kinect and the Xbox franchise could put Sony out of the console market in the next few years. Um, that would be a great place for Sony to stop the bleeding. Yep. Jason, what's your no stock? Well, you may have heard of a little bank called Bank of America. <laughs> well, I've, I've been watching the movie Too Big to Fail on HBO, so yeah, yeah, yeah they're, seems they're to front make, and center. <laughs> seems to make a lot of headlines, and uh, it never seems to be in a good way. And for me, honestly, it's just big banks in general scare me at this point. The biggest problem I have with them is they're essentially unknowable anymore. There's so many parts to these banks, and, and we don't even know what what they're made up of anymore. And so when when you have a situation like that where this news comes out every every other day of something else that was found on the books, foreclosure gate, whatever it may be, you know, I have a feeling that it's going to be years to go before these banks really unwind all the messes off their books. And so we can't stick any kind of a, a 
convincing a reasonable valuation on these banks. And, and, and so Bank of America, to me, is the one that stands out as, as really the laggard of the bunch. So, Jason, would you just say big banks in general should go on, like, fool investors to hard pile? Or are you actually saying Bank of America is a stock that's going to go down? No, I think you actually make a really good point there is that big banks in general are worth putting on that in that too hard to understand pile. I mean, I, I never have a problem really doing that because there's so many com- companies out there that, that we can look at. Uh, big banks, just it's impossible to understand them anymore. Now, the little banks, the little regional and community banks, are a little bit more understandable. You can get a better idea of what's on their books. But yeah, I think these big banks are almost too hard to even understand. Well, you can find smaller banks where the management team has been in place for decades. They're owners of the business, and they have stuck by traditional conservative banking practices versus these big banks that are doing who knows what. Well, there's no doubt. And I mean, I've even looked at and, and, and bought a bank, uh, Ameris Bank Court down in Moultrie, Georgia, that probably no one's ever heard of. You know, it's a small $250 million market cap bank, but they've got management that's been in there in place for, for some time. And, you know, the books are pretty, pretty transparent. I mean, I like to, to think that at least from what I've researched, you, you can see a lot of what's going on. So I think those little banks provide compelling opportunities. All right. And finally, Charlie, what's your maybe sell stock? It, it could be because of the price. It could be because of the business model. What's a stock that you are genuinely conflicted on? Sure, Chris. And I, I stuck with a the theme of kind of large cap tech and companies that are all operating in the same space for this show. And uh, my on-the-fence stock would be Nokia. Uh, <laughs> Nokia. As, see, Jason, Jason, as Jason pulls out his little tiny is Nokia that from, phone. Is that from 97? I got this back actually in 2008 when we moved back from Kazakhstan. This we should were be so in the museum? Sold, we were so sold on the SIM card concept, <laughs> okay. we could just pay it and load it as we go. <laughs> It uh, works great, though. What what attracts me to Nokia is that its stock is now trading in the $5 range, which is where it was in 98. It's been absolutely obliterated uh, as Apple and the Google Android phones are just killing it in the smartphone space as they abandon what they had with Symbian to do a deal with Microsoft to try and save the business. Uh, there's the saying that turnarounds don't turn. Uh, we will see if that's the case with Nokia over the next year or two. Uh, but the stock is so cheap that I'm really tempted to look at it, uh, but it, it's success is not guaranteed. So well, that's why I'm on the fence. And not only is the stock cheap, but isn't Nokia also tied at the hip with Microsoft, your Yes stock? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yes, you're you're an astute radio host. <laughs> I actually, he just listens really well. I actually listen when you talk. The the, the difference uh, is for Nokia, that partnership is all in. I mean, they have all the chips riding on that partnership. Whereas with Microsoft, uh, you know, they make all their money on Windows and Office, and whether or not the phone venture works uh, doesn't sink the company. Uh, so that's kind of the differentiating point. So you can tell I'm pretty much a stone ager when it comes to cell phones. Yes. I mean, I've got this little Nokia flip phone. But so you have uh, the Android phone and you have the iPhone. And I mean, does Nokia make like a smartphone or a compelling smartphone well, product? Well, they it? did. And as with the Symbian operating system, okay. which was kind of showing some age and it wasn't going to be a product that was going to take them into the future and the one that they had developed with their own internal R&D they decided to shutter in favor of going with a partnership with Microsoft. And so that's something they kind of want to do with Microsoft is maybe to- That's probably going to be a 2012 event and we'll see how it works um, but I would say most people are betting against it and that shows up in the stock price. Yeah. Jason, what about you? What's your maybe so stock? I was just looking at this this morning, and Gap is one that, to me, it just you know it's it's really taken a hit since the most recent earnings uh, announcement. They they backed off guidance there with a little bit due to uh, uh, production costs down the road. Here, it's selling for below ten times trailing earnings and about ten times forward estimates now. 
you know, you can't go really to any mall without seeing a, a big Gap store. Uh, Old Navy is everywhere. I mean, yep. I, I have two kids, and, and we just kill them with all this Old Navy stuff. It's cheap. It's durable. It lasts forever. You can kind of give them a little uh, leeway to go in there and shop for stuff. So I, I like the the number of brands that they hold under that Gap umbrella. Uh, you have Gap, the namesake itself, and then you have uh, Old Navy, uh, Athleta, and also the, the very well-known Banana Republic. The problem I have, though, is that there's not much room for domestic growth, really. Between the Gap stores and Old Navy stores, they're, they're pretty topped out. They're on the top line growth with stores. Their their same-store sales have been slumping for uh, five years now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think we call that a trend, I'm don't not, we? <laughs> I'm not terribly excited by that. Now, I mean, this by the same token, they, they have probably about 80% of their revenues right now come out of the United States. And so they have this, this big push for international expansion and growing the online uh, distribution as well. And I, I think they have the brand power that if they can hang in there, you know, today's stock price could, could look like a really, you know, decent value. I win. think your on-the-fence call on Gap might be the most bullish statement any fool analyst has ever been on them in years. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty close to it. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty close so, to the stock here. <laughs> they do have some brands that are recognizable. Um, would you suggest that they break these up? and sell some off, or are they better together? There may be some underperformers. I think, the, you know, when I look at Gap, and I think of Gap, Old Navy, and then the Athleta, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Athleta brands, uh, and those are the three that I think are the most popular and, and uh, most noble brands. I don't know that it makes sense to really spin any of those brands off. It doesn't look like there's one real lagger that's holding them back. Um, I think the main concern with them is just it's been such, uh, such a troubling time, economically speaking. The recession's really, really thumped a lot of people. And uh, they're going to have to really, I think, going forward, focus on sort of getting the brand back out there and convincing co- uh, consumers to come back into their stores. If they is is that, that realistic, though? I mean, sometimes in retail, once a brand is kind of washed up, it's done. It might not be realistic, and that's why the stock might be so cheap today. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely a bet. All right. Jason Moser, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right. So that's that's our experiment with yes, no, maybe so. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. And you know what? You don't even have to write anything. Just put in the subject line. If you like it, just put yes. If not, just put no. And if you're on the fence, maybe so. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Be sure to check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest is CNBC sports business reporter Darren Ravel. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes, online, and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be right back.